Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is George Tannenbaum, and he is the founder of the popular blog, Ad Aged. Yes, that's how you pronounce it, Ad Aged. Ad Aged has been named by Business Insider as one of the most influential blogs. And on this blog, George writes about the past, present, and future of advertising, along with the decline of the English language, and as he says, other frivolities. Now, I should add one more thing. By the crack of dawn, George is dedicated to the blog, but for the rest of the day, he's a working executive creative director at Ogilvy. George, welcome to the Disrupt Series Thanks podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Rob. Now, listen, we, we have to do our business first, this okay. whole thing about disruption. So you're a disruptor. You're a 55-plusser working in a quote-unquote young person's game. That's right. Uh, how did this disruption happen? Um, y- you know, I think the biggest George Orwell wrote, in an age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And I would say, as a writer, I'm a rewriter. So I take whatever anybody writes and I try to write it better. And I could say, in an age of universal youth, being old is a revolutionary act. And old brings with it a lot of negative baggage these days, but it brings a lot of things that... um, I think have value. Um, I think, uh, and this is an old person talking, we had uh, more training in the fundamentals, Mm. the things that really made our industry. And I think maybe we, because of the kind of Burnback, McCabe, Carl Alley world we grew up in, Jay Shiat world we grew up in, Phil Dusenberry, we had a more orthodox way of looking at communication mm. that Dave Trott talks about a lot, yeah. you know, uh, attention, communication, persuasion, that Dave, Dave clarified it for me. But if you look at the classic ads, they break through in that, in that manner. Um, and, and I think we were, more, we were less interested in those days, if you remember, of course, in advertising decoration and more in communication. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that was kind of, we were closer to Burnback, which was the, the most stripped down you could get in advertising. And how about today? Is it, are we communication or decoration or masturbation? Where are um, we? I think masturbation, we've dialed up to 11. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, sounds like it would hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, we won't go into any Louis C.K. Uh, topicality. I think we do a little more decoration. Yeah. Uh, I think we... Like mass decoration, though. Y- yeah. I, I think we, you know, I go back to classic Ogle, to a lot of classic Ogilvyisms. I might be one of the last person, per, people at Ogilvy who even knows them, much less the industry. And, you know, his gendered statement, the consumer isn't a moron, she's your wife. Mm-hmm. I, I think, frankly, we've forgotten that the consumer isn't a moron. Mm-hmm. I think we, we tell, regardless of the category, we tell the same jokes over and over again. Yeah, well, we've, we've hit on a number of interesting things. Um, you know, I was reading somewhere that the average age in an agency is 31. And uh, when I was 31, I was an idiot. Yeah. So uh, uh, not know, that every 31-year-old no, is an idiot, but, but I, I got much better in my 40s, and I've never been better than it was in, when, now that I'm in my 50s. That, that, that's, you know, I, I was born old, so I don't think I was an idiot at 31, but I can tell you 
I was at RGA, which is a great place to wind up if you're in your 50s, because I like to say it euthanizes you. Um, <laughs> and um, I, we had a financial services account, and I walked into the room, and the client said, thank God, someone with gray hair. But I think we've lost a little bit of the plot that the universal brief should not be make us cool. You know, there, there are other reasons. Cool is important. Nobody wants a, a oxygen tank brand, mm-hmm. but there's other reasons to buy things. Yeah, and I, I've always believed, kind of counterculture in the ad industry, that that there's rational reasons to buy too, mm-hmm. and that that's kind of gone by. But the was waste. that uh, David Abbott uh, thing he once said? Uh, you know, I, I hope you like facts. I believe in selling in facts, but I hope you can make a list of them so they don't feel like a list. Right. You know, I'm, right. I'm butchering a very, yeah. very insightful thing that David Abbott said. Yeah. But I mean, he believed in facts too. Well, you, you read the any of the old Doyle Dane VW ads. Mm. Um, you know, Levinson. I, I've saved on his computer on my computer um, the New York Times obituary, mm. and it closes uh, with a quote from Levinson, his obituary. And somebody asked him, "How did you write all those great VW ads?" And he said, I I put a piece of paper in the typewriter. I typed in Dear Dear Charlie. I told him what I wanted him to know. And then I took it out and I crossed out Dear Charlie. (laughs) You know, they're mostly facts. Miles per gallon, no oil, blah, blah, blah. So I want to talk a little bit uh, before we go even deeper into uh, your world uh, and, uh, you know, lions of the business. Um, Ad Aged, Mm -hmm. the blog. Uh, I see this as kind of a daily slap of reality. Uh, times sardonic, uh, at times wistful and romantic, yeah. but always from the heart. Why Why do you do this thing? You know, um, without sounding pompous, because, you know, we're ad people. I'm not a writer-writer. I'm an ad writer. That's what I do. I, I write on deadline. Um, I do it because I'm compelled to do it. It feels like... It's as natural for me to do as waking up in the morning and brushing my teeth or trying to exercise. It's like I had friends pre-blog days, and I I, I was always an early uh, person who got in early, 8.30. And the people who wanted to talk to me, Mm. to chat, would always come in at 8.30, and we'd sit around like this, and we'd have a chit-chat. And the blog became the most natural thing in the world. You can't... We don't have space to chit-chat anymore. Um, this would be um, a CEO of the holding company's office now, um, this little room. Um, and so I, I feel like that's what it's about. It's, it's kind of like we live in a world. It's a screwy world. It's, it's you know, to be all Shakespearean, uh, fair is foul and foul is fair. Yeah. We live in a topsy-turvy universe. And... You know, it makes no sense, and you, you you kind of point this. It's not hard. You know, sometimes I'll sit there in a meeting, and I'm like, you guys are writing my blog for me. Right. It's all I have to do is scribe. So, um, But I think what's interesting about what you say is that it is both a mirror to, like, what we're doing, but it is also a lens. I think there's, what's, what's powerful about the blog is that uh, if you were not in our business Suddenly, you're a fly on the wall yeah. of this chaos. And if you are in our business, my God, like 
The meeting that you had that was so ridiculous was the exact same meeting I had. The parallel lives that are happening is really powerful. Uh, You know, it's funny. I remember I had a little epiphany uh, in an edit suite maybe 10 years ago. You know, the editor's got his back to you, but he's all hearing um, because he's looking, he's listening to the room the same way a dog hears squirrels in the woods. He's listening for cues about the cut, the music, whatever. And mostly you and your art director and producer, whoever's in the room with you, it's usually that three, sit and bitch about the agency yep. or the cut or the client. <laughs> and um, I, got, I had this epiphany that the editor, who's a big deal at the time, must hear 17 hours a day, six days a week of people griping. And it's all the same. It's all, you know, everybody has the same, the same issues. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that's right. And a lot of times you'll see something in the Times, like last week in the New York Times, last week there was something about our conference rooms making you dumber because right. the air doesn't circulate. It's like, how do you not... <laughs> Remark about the number of days you spend at a conference room. Right. Where you, where nine tenths of the people are on their phones. Oh, yeah. Um, five tenths, half the people at the very start have no reason to be there. And the effectiveness is probably gone after about 10 minutes. Yeah. There's just not that much to talk about. Well, I like uh, what uh, what Jeff Bezos uh, does uh, yeah. over at Amazon, where yeah. you know you've got the you know six pages to read right. in the room with everybody else. Right. So not a pre-read because I, right. I, I for whatever reason I find pre-reads very hard to read. Yeah. But um, if I were forced to be in the room with everybody, everybody's reading at the same time. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. So, what's been your most popular post? You know, when I turned um, most, and I wonder if this is true with you as a as a creative person, most of your best creative comes when you're under a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And um, about a year ago, almost to the day, so I was sixty and a half. Uh, a planner came up to me and she said she she asked me to speak to a bunch of university professors who teach advertising classes. You expect a brief from a planner, but you seldom get one. (laughs) No offense. I have a lot of friends who are planners, but but I said, well, what do I talk about? And she said, well, you can look at the agency reel and comment on the reel. You can, you can, but I felt like I needed structure. So I said, well, I just turned 60. I'm going to write 60 things I've learned. And it wasn't meant to be a lesson to anyone other than this is what I've learned. Some people took it the wrong way. But I don't use words like viral very often, but it was it was probably the most viral thing I did. It swept through the agency. Um, and then, you know, you could see your click count on LinkedIn and stuff. And it was, for, for me, and it's a humble blog, it was off the charts. Um, and I was asked to to go to a conference. I was asked to go to another agency and present it. Um, so th- that was that was my most popular. And, yeah, it was nice. It's a nice feeling. There's nothing profound in it. Uh, it's just it's just I had the um, the stamina to get to sixty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I remember the post, and uh, yeah, there was just a lot of you know great wisdom and uh, yes, yeah. yeah, it was good. It was very good. I think what's also very interesting about the blog, I mean, again, I read it every morning. Um, 
you remind me, there's another newsletter I read called the Bob, Bob Lefsetz Letter. Oh, I don't know that. This is very good. This is a guy who's in the music business. Okay. Uh, and he, too, has, uh, you know, the benefits of, uh, uh, you know, chronology. Right. <laughs> you know, he's right. got, you know, you reach a certain point where you, you, you know, you're, you're automatically playing chess. Right. While the rest of the world plays checkers just right. because that's where you are now. You've As, seen this movie. Yeah. You've seen around the corner already. I believe it or not. Born in Yonkers, I quote Hank Williams. I've been down that road before. Yeah, you know it's it's just the way it is. Well, yeah, and and I and I think you know between you and Bob, I think there's a good uh, you know I get a very I'll good sense of uh, perspective. Yeah, and he's yeah. been writing his newsletter for years. Oh, he's really, okay. and writes about all all kinds of stuff. You know, like yeah. like you. Now, one of the things that I think is very interesting about your blog is that uh, I know uh, you seem to write it early in the morning. Yeah. Uh, your dog Whiskey is that yeah the Whiskey the Golden Retriever. So is is Whiskey walked before or after the blog? Well, truth be told, I don't. Um, I used to write early in the morning. It's gotten. Um, I've gotten a little more disciplined. So rather than writing twenty minutes before I post, I I write the previous day mm. nine times out of ten because mm. I'm trying to work out in the morning. So usually what I do is. I'll put myself into a panic because I don't have an idea. Around 2 o'clock, there's that kind of early riser lull, and I'll go, okay, I'm going to carve off 20 minutes for myself, and I'll dope something out. And then I work on it in, like, 20-minute increments over the next five or six hours, and then usually when I get home, I'll work on it for another 20 minutes. Wow, truly crafted. As much as anything's crafted now, (laughs) you know, it's... it's, I'm a terrible proofreader, so a lot of, um, you know, typos appear, uh, and I try to correct them. People call me out on it. But um, I don't know if it's crafted, but sometimes you just kind of nip and tuck. You know, it's – it's uh, yeah. It, 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 it's crafted, and um, one thing I do want to talk about is what I've noticed when I first started reading it was that there were a lot of, I would say, 650 and above SAT words. And, I have a big vocabulary. Yes. I'm, and, I'm prisoner of a vocabulary. And and by the way, a lot of uh, wonderful arcane turns of phrase, which I thought was really good. So I was just wondering, you know, can you think right now what was and, – and I, and, I, and I wrote this question for you in, in, in George style. What's the most splendiferous <laughs> or effervescent word? Gee I, thought, I, thought, I thought effervescent would just sort of bring splendiferous down just okay. a hair um, that you've ever used. Well, I, I love words. I, I, You know, my mother was I'll, – I'll use a big word here – was a harridan. Uh, she was a shrew. Um, well, at least she wasn't a harlot. <laughs> no, she wasn't a harlot. Um, she was, she was uh, a tough woman today. We'd probably call her a tiger mom. Mm. So she, um, she beat us with dictionaries um, – and my brother and I both kind of got vocabularized. Um, and so, but I've always, like, since my earliest days, since my Dr. Seuss days, I've always loved words. And I think Dr. Seuss had something to do with it. I think uh, Rock and Bullwinkle had something to do with it, you know, fractured fairy tales, all that kind of mayhem, mm. verbal mayhem. And so I've always noticed words. Now, I think Humphrey Bogart's favorite word. I'm sure I can say this, was Calipigian, C-A-L-L-I. I don't know that I've ever used it on my blog. C-A-L-L-I-P-Y-G-I-A-N. Cali in Greek means beautiful, 
and pigeon means ass. Mm. Um, so a woman with uh, or a, a human with a shapely behind is calipigeon. I find that amusing. Wow. Um, I like the word. I read it in a book by Leo Marx, who was one of the uh, Bletchley Park code breakers in World War II. He mm. figured out the Enigma machine that broke the German code. I don't think he had gone to college when he got hired by Bletchley Park. And these were the smart of the smart. This was Alan Turing's people in, in England. They broke the German coats, uh, the unbreakable. By the way, there's a lot of Googling happening now. OK. Well, you can look the, all this up. No, no, I like it. Yeah. No, no, it's he, he wrote a book. His father was a bookseller. And they asked him what he studied in college. And he said – and I remember this and it makes me laugh. It still makes me laugh. He said, Inconabula – and fornication. And um, Incanabula is books published before the printing press, mm. which I find – I just like the word. It's, I like it's, that. It's, it's a little – it's nice to be arcane sometimes. Yes. And then fornication is um, – has something to do with paying taxes. Oh. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm amused by things that amuse me. You know, I, I know – if I were writing for clients for sale, let's say, I would bring it down a notch because mm-hmm. um, I know I have to. Mm-hmm. But I'm writing for myself here. People just happen yeah. to read it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, a, I'm allowed to use the full whatever vigor of my vocabulary. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how you uh, – it, it's – you know, being erudite in your blog, I think it works perfectly. But you, you can't do that for copy. No. No, so, and it's not that the consumer is dumb. It's just that it's not as effective. If no. I have to take you away from the idea for a single second, yeah, to go look up a word, I've lost you. You know, you know. A lot of times, I work on a tech account, as you know, and the stuff is complicated. It's complex, and I'll say to the writers who I work with and who work for me, I'll say, you know, we're really in the translation business. Yeah, yeah. So don't use words. That have lost meaning, like scalable. I I really don't know what scalable means, but I hear it 40 times a day. Able to Um, be put on a scale. Yeah, exactly. I'm scalable. Exactly. And I don't like the results. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Spider-Man can scalable those walls. Yes. Um, Or maybe scalable has to do with uh, something with your skin. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the snakes in the industry. I don't think that's the scalable they need. Yeah, 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 exactly. I I, I had a boss once and uh, she told me that uh, I need to dumb it down to make people smart. I always like that. Okay. Dumb, yeah. it, dumb it down to make yeah. people smart. Well, I, I do want to get to some uh, other writer stuff. All right. I'm gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to stay on writer stuff. I want you to tell the listeners the chemical bank story that you told me. Like a oh. real like writer, writer story. Yeah. This is for the writers out there. So I'm sure if you're an art director or you do something else, you can tune out now. But the writers are going to appreciate this. Well, uh, I'll, I'll name names. Um, I had a boss, a very an excellent writer called Ed Butler uh, when I was at Alley and Gargano. And he was um, he was meticulous. Um, and he told me the story. He was at an agency called Marshawk, which grew into Lowe, which 
I don't know, which is Mullen Low, I guess, today. Back in the 70s, there was a local bank in New York called Chemical Bank. I think they merged with Manufacturers Hanover, and I think they got by, bought by Chase. You know, uh, Many Hanny, as Manny, the kids yeah, used to call yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it was the Chemical Corn Bank. If, if, if you walk around the city, you'll see Chemical Corn Bank engraved. That sounds painful. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and Chemical was always kind of – it was a big bank. It was a New York bank. But they wanted to be kind of a neighborhood bank. Mm -hmm. And so Ed told me the story. They were pitching at the time against Della Femina. And the lead writer on Della Femina was a guy called Jay Taub, who was a very good writer. Went on to greater fame, I think, at Levine Huntley. And Ed and Marshawk pitched first. And Ed's line, the line that Ed had come up with, was the chemistry's right at chemical. Which is a nice line. Mm -hmm. A little playful. And I guess when Taub came out of the room after pitching, Ed said, what, what was your line? Just out of curiosity, because what was your line is like ballplayers saying, what was your batting average? Mm-hmm. It's, that's how we – that's how you can synthesize two weeks down of work to s- seven words. Um, and Jay said, the chemistry's just right at chemical. And Ed said to me, I knew then we lost the business because his line was so much better. And I really thought about I love that, that word. I, I thought about because so much of what we do depends on little, and I'm not talking about decorations, but little flourishes, little things. To your point just a second ago, little things that make things more memorable, memorable, or more mnemonic, or more in touch with how people speak. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. There was nothing wrong with Ed's line. But Jay Taub's line sounded like more like New York Street. Yeah. And it was just right. Yeah, yeah. And and a good – I think we've lost some of the regional stuff yeah. in, in, yeah, our, yeah. in our language. Yeah. Um, Especially with the globalization. Yeah. Like, to, you yeah. Know. So, so I don't know that we pay attention to that kind of – stuff anymore. Well, I love that story because it's it's the one little four-letter word, just. The yeah. just makes it. And the thing, and I'll give people, I'm going to give you the secret to winning business. I mean, this is the secret to winning new business. So, you know, for, for anything on this this, this podcast uh, today that you can take away, this is the secret to winning uh, new business. Clients buy words. Right. I, I, tell my, I tell our people all the time, you know, whenever we don't win a pitch, it's because we didn't have the chemistry's just right. We didn't have that set of words that when you're not in the room, the clients go, well, they came up with this great line, the chemistry's just right. Right. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, ribs falling off a bone. You're like, oh, that's perfect. Well, you know, not new business, but selling your work within an agency. You try not to name a commercial Eric. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, you try to give it something that has a little memorability to yes. it so people respond to the the uh the dunking and rooster spot not the eric spot right something descriptive and yeah. what have you and, yeah so and I, that implants well and again that that's why i love your blog because your blog every morning is a reminder that we're going to need some words today people yeah. you know so i i thank you for that i oh, love thank that you. now now you've got this little Ad aged uh, thing. Yeah, I call it an industry. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this industry. Uh, how does Ogilvy feel about this? As was RGA before Ogilvy, they have been wonderful. Um, sometimes, I as has my my client who um, 
most clients, you can't accuse them of having great senses of humor, mm -hmm. at least at the corporate level, if not the interpersonal level. Um, everyone has been wonderful. I think in previous agencies that was tolerated. I think mm -hmm. Ogilvy's embraced it. You know, going back to kind of the early days of social when people said, well, when you're a brand and social, you have to give up control. I think Ogilvy at least has exemplified that mm. they can't say, well, we're austere suspender wearing David anymore and we talk in this manner. Um, I think that without sounding arrogant, people like that in a sense the agency is permitting candor. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm never – I don't think I'm ever really mean. Mm. Sometimes I'm angry and I have to like pull back because um, uh, I worry about pissing people off or worry about what someone's going to say. But I think people feel kind of some of your opening remarks. A lot of these plaints, these issues that we deal with are universal. Mm -hmm. You deal with them if you're a 25-year-old intern – you know, uh, I had an idea the other day. I think I wrote it up how I think briefs should have disclaimers like pharmaceutical ads. You, you, know, <laughs> you know, you know, warning, working on this assignment could lead to hot dog finger. Um, and I think most people feel that way. I think even the people who write the briefs feel that way mm. because I'm sure a dump truck of cliches is backing up to their typewriter. <laughs> And they have to do and, – and they're going to have to put some of them in to assuage clients or bosses. Right. They're just going to have to and they're going to have to negotiate on that side so the, the creatives don't think they're idiots. So, you know, I, th I think most – I mean humor can be universal when it's good. Mm -hmm. And so the agency has been terrific. One time I insulted a discipline and I got asked not to do it again. Um, I have a real issue with jargon um, the same way Solzhenitsyn would in the Soviet Union. So when people say we were being bludgeoned with being agile, mm. agencies today, at least where I work, we are so damn fast. I don't know what agile means. No. And, I, and I said to the person, the technocrat, who was bringing Agile mm. into the agency. Tell me what Agile means because if it's a synonym for faster, say faster and I'll tell you, I'm probably the fastest writer you'll ever meet. I can't go any faster. So tell me what Agile means. I got like 20 minutes of hemming and hawing mm. and that's what I wrote about and then someone read it and got upset and felt they were personally attacked. Though I mentioned no names and actually when I'm being really vindictive – I usually couch the blog and a friend from the industry wrote to me. Mm -hmm. They saw through that, <laughs> that, 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 that really uh, like NSA subterfuge. Uh, they saw through it. I got yelled at. Mm, well, how ironic that uh, it was about agile and yeah. the, the person was so fragile. Yeah, uh, exa exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, uh, their interpretation. Oh, that's fun. Well, all right. Well, uh, here's another question for you. Who for our listeners is Uncle Slappy? Um, that's a good question. Um, Uncle Slappy is um, an amalgamation of a lot of different people in my life. He's uh, probably one part Henny Youngman, um, 
Dave Trott posted a gender joke from Henny Youngman on his uh, Facebook site this morning. I always hold my hand, my wife's hand when we go out. If I don't, she'll shop, um, which is funny and gendered in of the 60s. So I apologize for that. Uh, so he's a little bit of Henny Youngman. He's a quipper. He's um, I've always liked fracturing language. Uh, Nobody, maybe you remember Slip Mahoney from the Bowery Boys. He would thank, always... thank God I don't remember it. I'm suddenly feeling very spry. Now. Okay. Um, well, there, there used to be these uh, Saturday. Uh, I the, guess, Bowery Boys, the Bowery I Boys. Yeah. Yeah. The Bowery Boys. Yeah. The Bowery. And he would always say things like, uh, rather than let's synchronize our watches, let's sympathize our watches. Uh, so yeah. I, Some malapropism. Yeah, malaprops. I always love those. Um, then I have my th- fourth or fifth longest relationship is with my therapist. We've been seeing each other for 25 years. I'm actually on a stamp in Austria. Mm, congratulations. Um, so, um, congratulations. Thank you. And um, so there's a wisdom to Uncle Slappy that comprises my therapist. Um, and then there's little nostalgic pieces of my father, the genial side of my father, uh, and my uh, cousin Herb, uh, who was uh, a wise and snide man. So I've I've mixed all this up because I didn't really have strong paternal upbringing, so I've made my own. Uh, and, and, and by the way, so what's Uncle Slappy's role for those of you who don't – I can't believe you don't know this blog, but if you don't know uh, Ad Aged. Well, Uncle Slappy gets me out of trouble sometimes. So when I have nothing substantive to say, I'll tell an anecdote. Uh, I'll tell a joke. Essentially, they're jokes. So he's like your Ed McMahon. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So I started— You're Andy Richter, for those of you. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I'm always able to do a little shtick mm. with Uncle Slappy. I'm good at shtick. Shtick's mm. fallen out of favor. Yeah, it has. So shtick—so Uncle Slappy's got a wife of 55 years. He's a defrocked rabbi. Uh, he got kicked out of his congregation. His con- He— presided at a Upper East Side congregation called Beth, You Is My Woman Now. Um, and he got kicked out for for a sermon he did. By the way, this is a Faulknerian backstory. Yeah, here. it's long. It's. I mean, do you want me to go on? <laughs> Why don't you take us a few more steps and then okay. we're going to move on? Um, yeah, so he, he, he's, you know, he tells jokes mostly of the um, Borscht Belt right. uh, uh, tenor. And and he doesn't quite like me. He doesn't quite understand why things don't work right. You know, where if you go to the restaurant, and you get, if you go to Hale and Hardy and get soup, mm. they don't fill it up to the top. Why is that? Oh, they're leaving room for the cream. Yeah, you know, but you know, you know, fill it up to the top, and they don't. They can't. They don't know how. Because there's no more advertising about brim. Yeah, fill I, it to the I, rim yeah, with exactly. brim or something. They don't. They don't yeah, know it. Yeah. They don't know it. All right, his well, main bugaboo is toast. I. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Please illuminate us. Well, no one knows how to make toast anymore. Yeah. Do you? I like a dark piece of toast. I do too. You know, my partly because I grew up. Another Borscht Belt joke. I didn't know food couldn't be burnt right. until I left the house. Everything was burnt. I like burnt toast. So yeah. I hear you. Yeah. The problem with toast today is I have to scrape the avocado off of it. Okay. To, Thank to, you. To, to yeah. Eat. All right, so I had another question for you about again the the blog itself. So it's it's kind of a living document. The form of it is a very modern form 
and you and I have, have chatted about this over, over dumplings and whatnot. Um, you know, you're I, I do think you're kind of almost like a, like a James Thurber uh, of our business. And like, would you ever put the blog in a book form? Is there some compendium, you know, form that this thing wants to take? You know, um, yes, I think about that. Here's my little – so I have a couple of strains to be pompous leitmotifs, right? <laughs> characters who run mm-hmm. for the blog. So I have Uncle Slappy. Um, I have my baseball stories. I used to write stories about my father. Um, I might have one or two other little things. Actually, so, I, think, I think your New York pieces. I think yeah, your, and, and the New York Your pieces. New York moments, yeah. whether it's a, you know, a yeah. fall evening or yeah. what have and, you. And, you know, like you growing up here and seeing how the city's changed and evolved, even coming to this building. Mm. I remember this building from the late 70s, early 80s. I think there used to be a deli in the basement called Fritzel's, or maybe that was down the street. Um, anyway. Where are all the delis in this town? <laughs> yeah, I have my theories. That's a whole other um, issue. <laughs> so... You know, the baseball stories in particular, I like. Those are the ones who get the least readership, uh, but I'm proudest of in a way. I thought about taking those into a book, and I took a writer's workshop mm-hmm. last summer, and the professor liked them a lot. The Uncle Slappy things are more entertaining. I think they're funnier. I don't know if there's a narrative. I don't know if I could turn it into a narrative. That's a coffee table book. Yeah, but then my therapist... My wise therapist said, I think it's all one story. Yeah. And you have to find a way to blend them. Yeah, and that I haven't figured out how to do. Well, even if, it, again, I, I see it more in compendium form as just yeah. a, you know, uh, you know, as they are. Yeah. I don't know if you, you know, I mean, you could obviously do, do more with it. All right. Well, good. Well, let's uh, just talk a little bit about age because I think uh, yeah. that's a really uh, hot topic. So uh, thank you for indulging us uh, in, uh, uh, in Ad Aged itself, uh, um, Ad Aged. Um, but, but age in the specific. And one of the things I was thinking about before uh, you know, we sat down here at the microphones was in other creative industries, uh, there seems like age is okay. So, for example, in architecture, you know, no one gets too upset when a 90-year-old Frank Geary walks into a right. room and says, oh, I've got a few ideas for a building. Right. You know, and then, uh, or if you're in music and 55-year-old Rick Rubin says, hey, I'd like to produce, you know, your next song. Right. You know, I mean, Rick Rubin, you know, he's, he's you know, our age. You know, and then Martin Scorsese is 76. Yeah. And we're, like, clamoring for whatever the next uh, yeah. film is, The Irishman or whatever it is. So why is it in advertising, back to that, like... Why can't we get that uh, call it respect that uh, uh, I don't know that uh, that reverence in a way because we are going to deliver something with our younger you know cohorts that's going to be really powerful. But without us, you might not get something as good. You know, I, I think there's two bits to it. I think one bit is a financial bit that we we cost more mm-hmm. and. Very few people can do a cost-benefit analysis. They'll just they'll just see the the cost per, per mm-hmm. whatever they call it, blended average. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, I learned in CEO school that uh, we have to present the value, not the cost. Okay, not everyone does that. So I think that's one thing. You know, the 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 other thing is I think as an industry, probably the people who founded the modern industry, the industry we grew up into, were baby boomers. 
and youth was everything. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Even though a bulk of the purchasing power is people 50 plus. Yes. I mean, that's, you know, going yeah, back the, to Willie Sutton, yeah. why rob the banks? Yeah. That's where the money is. Yeah, exactly. Guess what? The money's with the altercockers. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything new in a lot of industries. I, I just, probably because I'm old now, uh, I've just gotten more aware of it. And, you know, for a while, and I was probably guilty of this when I was in the position to lead departments and stuff, there were people who hadn't adjusted to new media mm-hmm. and they tended to be old. And so I think there was a correlation, if not causation, between age and obsolescence. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of spilled over because there were a lot of people who wouldn't do – you have to do an integrated campaign mm-hmm. and they'd only – they could only fathom the broadcast. Right. And didn't want to touch a banner. They didn't, yeah. yeah. And they, they didn't really want to even entertain it. Uh, I, by the way, I would tell people it's not a banner. It's an out-of-home board that runs on a computer. Yeah, a, 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 exactly. Um, so I, I think maybe that started this. Um, and then I think the fascina- there's just the general fascination with mm-hmm. bad boys and youth and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And we liken ourselves to the movie industry or, you know, and everybody's young and hip and has abs. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we kind like of... Like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know. I Maybe I'm being naive. I have a feeling it's coming back around a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, there there is also a societal thing where we've abnegated, we've pushed aside experience. I mean, all you have to do is look at D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, anyone can do this. Um, <laughs> Almost anyone. Y- yeah. You know, it's it's if you're – I saw this thing. I'm not going to get it right. In a doctor's office, you know, looking it up on Google is not a second opinion. <laughs> um, but, you know, th- that's kind of the the world we, we're in now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the kind of the DIY yeah, effect. Yeah, and I'm not sure – and we've lived through – you know, mm-hmm. we, we're kind of coming out the other end. You remember major advertisers were going to crowdsource their commercials. Oh, yeah. And there were crowdsourcing agencies. Oh, yes. I'm not sure that's we, working we, out. We, we never called it uh, user-generated content. We always called it loser-generated content. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, we're advertising professionals. Yeah. 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 We have a turn of a phrase. Yes. <laughs> yes, we can do this. No, but I, th- I think what you say uh, is, uh, you know, is – uh, accurate. I do feel we are starting to come out of it. Which yeah, is good. Yeah, I mean, I just in time, right? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I feel and and you know, I could go back to the office late. I never get in this late, and uh, there could be a pink, you know, the proverbial pink slip. Though now they're probably pink and blue um, on my desk. You never know. Um, you just never know because yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just talk a little bit about uh, uh, your uh, your your journey. I mean, were there kind yeah. of like three maybe key moments? I know that uh, you you played in the Mexican leagues, yeah. and uh, maybe just give us kind of three key moments that got you to this podcast. <laughs> well, the 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 first is is getting into the industry, which I my father was in it. Um, oh, nepotism! Yeah, n- he he really did a good job not helping me uh, because. <laughs> They had moved from New York to Chicago. They wanted me out in Chicago, mm. and I wanted to stay in New York. Uh, this was home for me, and I felt uh, – I've always felt at home here. Um, they wanted me out in Chicago, They didn't want, and they wanted me in law school. That was the last thing I wanted to do. 
My father had had two heart attacks at 39 and 44. Mm. I attributed them partly to the to the high stakes of the industry, mm. the pressure. Uh, so I never wanted to go in the industry. I thought I'd be an English professor. That would be a nice gentle career. Um, gentle and genteel. Yeah, but worse than this. Way worse than this. So I got out of grad school with a master's. I realized I didn't have the stuff in me at the age of 21 or 22 to go for a Ph.D., so I'm in New York. There's only so much Thackeray one, one, yeah, yeah, one, one yeah, young kid can yeah, take. Yeah, exactly. No, it's just, you know, like nine years of, of Thackeray. <laughs> um, and and that industry, like ours, has gotten increasingly obtuse mm. because all the good stuff about the whale has been written. Yeah, yeah. So now you have to talk about something obscure in Moby Dick to find your little place. So you, been, have to, you have to be whale adjacent. Yes. Yeah. You can't, you can't focus on the meaning of the book. You mm. have to find a sub-meaning, sub-sub-sub. Right. So um, it's gotten fetishized like most, like the Vente. <laughs> um, so I'm 20, it was 1980. So I was 22. I was in New York. I had no job. What do I do? So the two things you do with a master's degree in English Lit are you go to publishing or you go to advertising. Mm. So this is going to make me feel like I'm Napoleon's age. I open up the New York Times. I see an ad for a copywriter, 393 7th Avenue. All right. I run down there. They give me a test. Um, I pass the test. I started writing catalogs for 11700 a year. And I said, well, I'll do that and get my book together. I got my book together. I got a job at in-house at Bloomingdale's. But I, I was always familiar with advertising. I always knew you could make money in advertising. By the way, pre-Big Brown Bag or post-Big Brown Bag? During. it was Because I felt like Big Brown Bag was like a watershed moment, iconic, smart, well, pop I, culture. I worked for a great guy who you probably know his name, John Jay, mm. who was creative director there. And he built a team of, you know, John Jay who went on to Wyden and Kennedy and mm. is doing great things and now. now uh, the Uniqlo, at, uh, Uniqlo yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and he he built a great department and did, you know, mm. the Italy promotion, the France promotion. He did all those things. So it was— Wait, this was an in-house agency in 1982? Yeah. Deja so, vu all over. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was step one. Then step two, uh, and I've written about this fairly recently on the blog, was I got a job at an agency just up the road here, just up at, at Marshawk uh, with Marshall Carp. And Marshall was a really good writer who's gone on to uh, write a bunch of novels with James Patterson, another mm. ad guy, best-selling novels. And he took me under his wing. Mm. And, you know, or under his fin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, he was always pushing me. Now, in those days, I would say print was the most important channel mm -hmm. if you wanted to win awards. Right. So – I worked almost exclusively on print, which probably hurt my career. Mm. But whatever. Back in the day, print makes you famous and yeah. TV makes you rich. Yeah. And so we did print ads. There mm. were a bunch of us. I mean, I had one year where I worked on Iliitis and Colitis, Police Suicide, and Disaster Relief. This is at the Kafka Agency? <laughs> no, but this is, you know, because they wanted to win awards. Right. So this is how you won awards. Um Today it's – and it shows you how the world's gone. Today it's like burrito shops, um, whatever. So, you know, I did that, but I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm still connected to Marshall. And then I think my last kind of permutation or whatever where I am now 
was joining Ogilvy in the 90s. Mm. And I felt th- there were some ads done at Ogilvy in the 80s. You probably remember them for international paper. Oh, the best. You know, how to write a letter. How to write a letter. And those to me, and they won gold in the one show. Oh, they, I love those. Yeah, how to, how to write a letter by um, James Michener or, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. How, to, how to make a speech by so-and-so. Um, and they were fabulous. Yeah, wonderful. And they were really about what I wanted to do. They were really about telling a story about craft. Mm-hmm. And they, to your point about clients by words, they were about words. Yeah. They were intelligent ads written to an intelligent age, to, to an intelligent uh, viewer. And that's the way I felt mm. Ogilvy was mm. back in the 90s between Chris Wall and Steve Hayden and a bunch of other people working on a highbrow client, IBM, that was, it's cliche today because everybody's changing the world. Warby yeah. Parker is changing the world. Um, but they were changing the world. Sure. And, you know, I felt like there was there was something to do there. And I I read a quotation when Steve Hayden got promoted, and we have Steve Hayden in common. When Steve Hayden got promoted to vice chairman at Ogilvy, there was a article in the journal on the Wall Street Journal. I'm one of those writers who reads the Wall Street Journal. Great campaign too, by the way. Another great campaign, right. Um and there was a quotation from Shelley Lazarus, who was CEO of Ogilvy at the time, that said, Steve never writes in jargon. I copied the article. I put it on a Word doc. I saved it. I still have it today. And I'm like, that's my brief. Mm. And as a writer, that's a good brief. Yeah. Well, it goes back to your whole theory that you're a translator. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ex- exactly. You, can, you can't translate to somebody in jargon. Right. Right. So it's, it's kind of, and as, a, as someone who has to look at other people's writing, and critiques when I get gorp from either clients or planners or account people. It's like, what are you, what are you trying to say? And there's so much bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I, I have that in my head as mm-hmm. my kind of mantra. You know, don't write in jargon. Mm-hmm. And that's my brief. Yeah, good. That's, that's, that's my brief for the blog. I, I know I use big words, but some of them are just to be a jerk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm allowed. You're allowed. Yes, no, because the, the the points of the pieces are very clear. Yeah. So if there's a little tinsel on the tree, I think it yeah. makes it like a gift. You I know, mean, it's okay. You know, sometimes I, I have a algorithm on my desktop where I'll, sometimes I'll put something through it and it'll say you have a lot of long, long uh, big words and long sentences. And i got to do something about that. Um and I'll, I'll take it back and I'll cut things up a little bit. Short sentences are always good. Yeah. They're yeah. always good. Anything you want to tell us about Mexican baseball before we close? It was a great time. Tell us just a little bit, a few seconds on your illustrious career as a ball player. Well, I was writing a story about it the other night because I was looking through some papers I had and somebody said something to me back then, and I was young. And he said to me, we're all born in hell. This is dark. We're all born in hell. It's what we do with it that matters. And, you know, we have good lives. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking for your daughter. Raising children isn't easy. <laughs> you know, running your marriage, your career, your life, it's not hell. It's not Treblinka. But we all have to deal with a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. And it's how we deal with 
what we, the hand we get mm. that, you know, it was more than just baseball. <laughs> yeah, it was more than just baseball. Well, that was uh, that's very very poetic. I appreciate that. Well, let's just segue into just a, you know uh, we like to give uh, the listeners a, just a piece of advice. We got uh, CEOs, uh, CMOs who listen to the show. We have rising talent who listens to the show. So, uh, what's just one general great piece of advice to give someone? You know, um, my I'm not a workaholic. I don't. I get in early, I'll admit. I get in earlier than everybody else. But I like to leave. I mean, like Rich Siegel, I like to be home in time for Jeopardy if I can. And <laughs> I don't make it every night, but I like to get home. I'm tired. Yeah. And nothing to do with age. I'm just oh, – yeah. I. this is – a lot of ways, this is a full contact sport. This I'm is, a basket case after after two, yeah, 2 in the afternoon. Yeah, I mean, but I'll I, give you everything from 5 a.m. till 2. Exa- exactly. But I think what – the inventor of timesheets never figured out is the amount of work we do when we're walking places, when we're in the elevator, when we're taking a shower, walking the dog, buttering a bagel, a well-toasted bagel, <laughs> that we're always turning stuff over in our heads. And, you know, our job is to find something interesting. And that takes work. And, you know, yesterday my daughter, my 27-year-old, is graduating from um, a degree in marine science in two or three weeks. Just sent me a note. She had just gotten a job. And she's 27. And I said, Hannah, you know, you've been working towards this job since you're 10. Hmm. You know, nothing – you could look at it like a lot of people will. She just got a job running a marine park in the Bahamas. Like, wow, Hannah, you're so lucky. No, she's worked at it. Work. That's that's my thing. So you so your your one piece of wisdom is work hard. All right. George, this was a pleasure as always. Usually we do this uh over dumping. Usually and I spill on myself, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there was a kid named uh, Ryan Wallman who's uh, part of my Algonquin uh, Twitter yeah. stream. Yeah, he's a good guy. I, don't, I only know him. I don't through, I only know him yeah. through Twitter. Basically, the Algonquin Roundtable right now is a stream for me. Yeah. Uh, there are all these yeah. wonderful people on Twitter. Uh, and he suggested this, so I want to thank oh, him. Wow. He's a, uh, uh, so the, that's, how, that's how we got it uh, going today. Great. So thank you so much. Great. This thank you great. for having me. I appreciate it. Excellent. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shite Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiteday.ny.com.